welcome to the 109th episode of the podcast F4. We're calling it that since it's easier to say than food and frightening film fanatics. Before we get started, our usual disclaimer, heavy spoilers now. Heavy spoilers, turn back now if you haven't seen these movies. This week we're talking about another obscure horror franchise, and that's Basket Case. Um, you may have not even heard of the first movie, not to mention the two sequels. So the first Basket Case came out in 1982, written and directed by Frank Henenlotter. This was his de- directorial debut. Produced by Edgar Levin, starring Kevin Van Hinterick, sorry if I messed up his name, as Dwayne Bradley, Terry Susan Smith as Sharon, Beverly Bonner as Casey. Most of the people in this movie do not have any other acting credits, and a few have been in a couple of other Frank's other movies. The first basket case was shot for a budget of $35,000, so can't get much lower than that. The next up, Basket Case 2, which came out in 1990, so eight years later. Also by Frank, back is Kevin. Annie Ross joins as Granny Ruth, and she apparently was a jazz singer and actress back in the day and led a pretty raucous life. I looked up her bio. Beverly Bonner is back in this movie for a few minutes. And then lastly, Basket Case 3, The Prodigy from 1991, so one years later, also by Frank, back is Kevin and Annie and Bonnie for a quick second. Where can you watch these movies? All three are currently on Tubi, so not as hard to find as they used to be. Rotten Tomatoes scores. The first basket case, critics gave it a 77, audiences gave it a 54, so not bad. The second one, critics gave it a 71, audiences gave it a 38. And the last one was not rated by critics and audiences gave it a 29%. There are a couple of other good um, sources that cover the Basket Case franchise. And one is Basket Case Anatomy of a Franchise from Zane at the In Praise of Shadows uh, website. So that's a very good channel that really goes into specifics of various franchises if you haven't checked that out. And also check out The Kill Count. Um, James A. Janice covers all three of these movies. So the plot, when the first movie opens, we see an innocent-looking guy carrying a big wicker basket in the streets of New York. And it's a pretty sleazy place. It's uh, early 80s New York, around Times Square. So it was pretty rough back then. He pays to stay at a sleazy hotel, and then there's an assortment of characters, including... Casey, who is a kindly hooker who tries to protect Dwayne. And we eventually learn that in the basket is Belel, which is Dwayne's severely deformed brother. So he's really just a head and a couple of arms. He was previously joined to Dwayne's side by his, but his father had some doctors, well it turns out, I think, I think most of them were vets, remove Belel and throw him away in the trash. Dwayne finds him and together they murder their father. Then they live with their aunt um, until she passes away. Um, And then after that, they go on a murder spree to try to catch all of the doctors or vets who um, treated them badly. So let's see, that's it for the plot of that one. 
at the end of that, what happens is um, Dwayne wants to go on a date with a woman who's a receptionist at the doctor's office that he met, and then Blell is upset about that. And so he and Dwayne fight. They end up outside the hotel building hanging from the sign, you know, the neon sign for the building, and they both end up falling to the ground, and it looks like they're dead. That's the final scene. But obviously we know with the sequels that they're not dead. Uh, fun parts about this movie, you know, it's super low budget, as we said. Um, Dwayne likes to fr- uh, feed Belil hot dogs, so he just throws hot dogs and uh, hot dog buns in there. And Belil um, is pretty cheap looking, but the stop motion animation I always like, so that's fun to watch. And at one point his eyes turn gr- red and he screams a lot. Um, and the screaming apparently is, uh, that same actor that plays Dwayne did his voice. And also, interestingly, they cast the face of Bilal, so they did that guy's face too, so they would look like brothers. So that's it for the first movie. And then Basket Case 2, Dwayne and Bilal miraculously survived their fall and have moved to a home for, quote, unique people, run by Granny Ruth. The best part of these movies is all the new and strange characters that are introduced. And I don't know the names of all of them, but I thought that was a fun addition. There a guy, there's a guy with a half moon for a head, a guy with a vertebrae growing out of his head, someone who looks like a rat, worm man, frog boy, etc. Uh, Frank and his company made sure they didn't create anyone with a real condition so as not to make fun of them. Meanwhile, a newspaper reporter, a nat- National Enquirer type, is on the hunt for the brothers. They became famous after their murders were uncovered. Dwayne longs for a normal life, and he wants to run away with Susan, who's Granny Ruth's granddaughter. I have no idea who her parents are. I don't think it's mentioned. But Susan tells Dwayne she's pregnant and has been pregnant for six years. And it turns out she is pregnant with this giant worm who busts out of her abdomen every once in a while to say hello. So Dwayne is freaked out by the giant worm, and that ruins his plans, and he pushes Susan out the window, and she dies on the picnic table where Granny Ruth and everyone else are eating outside. The film ends in a strange place with Dwayne re-sewing Bilal back to his side, and because of the great creatures and monsters, the funniest part of this movie is the Bilal and Eve sex scene. It's pretty funny. So basically, Eve is the female version of Bilal. So they have the sex scene in the second movie, and then in the third movie, they replay some of the footage again, including that. In the third movie, um, they add more creatures. Dwayne has been confined in a straitjacket in a padded room in the basement of Granny Ruth's house until he regains his senses. Bilal is no longer speaking to him telepathically. The crew goes on a field trip to visit Uncle Hal. That's because Bilal got his girlfriend Eve pregnant, and it's obviously going to be a difficult birth. We learn that Granny Ruth had a special son, who she could not originally accept, and so left him with Uncle Hal. The character of Little Hal, to be honest, didn't work for me. Um, it looked like Jabba the Hutt, but I just didn't like the, the character or the, the guy playing it. didn't do much for me. So... Um, The police discover where the freaks are, and they kill Eve. I think it's Bilal. Then they kidnap the 12 baby Bilals that she gave birth to, and Granny Ruth seeks revenge. There's a fun musical number where she sings personality on the bus, and everybody joins in with their instruments. 
In the end, the babies are rescued by Bilal. He is in a, one of those exoskeleton things like uh, Sigourney Weaver in uh, Aliens, where you move around in there because obviously he's just a head and two arms. And he ends up killing the sheriff by gnawing off his face, or the little Bilal's do. Granny Ruth and company go on a TV show, such as back in the day, Donahue, Geraldo, Jerry Springer, etc. And Granny Ruth tells the freaks, tells them that the freaks will no longer hide and deserve to live a life openly like everyone else. And that's the end of that movie. Let's see, for trivia, I have a few things. Most of them, of course, are from the first movie. Most of the credits set up here at the end of the film are fake. The crew is very small, and rather than repeat the same names over and over again, they decided to just make up names. According to writer-director Frank Henenlotter, he was emboldened to make the movie because he believed that no one would ever see it. He claimed to have been terrified when it became a success. More than 30 years later, after its initial release, it remains a cult classic among horror fans. The film's budget was so low that the crew had to go dumpster diving for discarded furniture and plumbing to dress up the sets. When Dwayne checks into the Hotel Broslin, he takes out a wad of cash. According to director Frank Henenlotter, that money was the film's entire budget. The idea for the movie came to Frank when he was brainstorming movie titles that hadn't been used before. The title Basket Case made him think of a monster living in a basket, and the film evolved from there. Um, already said the guy who plays Dwayne, Kevin Van Hintenrick, also does the voice for the mutant for Blell. Frank Kennelotter admits that he didn't really want didn't really know what he was doing making the film as it was his first feature-length directorial effort. As such, he actively experimented with the tone. If a scene wasn't scary, it could be funny, and if a scene wasn't funny, it could at least be entertaining for its shock value. To try to make the film appeal to a comedy crowd, the original distributor cut out all the gory scenes of the film. They were eventually put back and re-released in theaters with the subtitle, The Full Uncut Version. The actress that plays Sharon, Terry Susan Smith, wore a wig for all of her scenes because she was bald at the time. I think she was in a punk band. And you can tell it's a wig a couple of times. The film never had a set budget. They started out at 16000 and half, uh, and that was half of Frank's entire life savings. The crew would use whatever money they had to film some footage to show to potential investors who would then give them more money, and the process repeated itself until the film was completed. I hate to admit it, um, Frank says in issue 16 of Fangoria, but anytime you hear a woman walking, that's me in high heels. The sound effects were all looped later and created mainly by Henenlotter and producer Edgar Evans. Cult classic critic Bob Joe Bob Briggs has often praised Basket Case as a masterpiece of exploitation cinema and was a fervent supporter of its distribution. And him showing it again is one of the reasons it became a cult classic. Originally, the role of Casey was much smaller. After Frank saw Beverly Bonner's performance, he expanded the character to a secondary lead. And interestingly, Bonnie has appeared in all of Frank's movies. 
in 2015, 30 years after the film's release, Beverly Bonner starred in a stage production called Casey 30 Years Later with a screening of Basket Case before the show. Puppetry for Belle was performed by the producer's eight-year-old daughter after the puppet shrank down and it was too hot, too tight for human hands to get in there. Let's see. The twin receptionists in the film were cousins of Frank. One of them had recently sprained her wrist and had to wear a brace during shooting, so a wrist brace was given to the other twin to wear as well. Uh, let's see here. At the film's premiere, Frank met James Glickenhaus. The two became friends, and Glickenhaus Production Company, Shapiro-Glickenhaus Productions, would end up making Basket Case 2 and Frank's, one of Frank's other movies, Frank and Hooker, from 1990. Um, this movie played as a midnight movie in the Waverly Theater in New York City for two years after its release. Bilal was almost never called by his name in the script. He only ever referred to as the creature or the thing in the basket. When the film was originally submitted to the MPAA, it received an X rating, causing the filmmakers to release the unrated versions. I'm not sure why it's X rated. I mean, it's pretty stupid looking. Um, Dwayne has a streaking scene in this movie. It was shot without permit on a cold night. To shoot the scene, the crew first cleared the sidewalk of any objects that would hurt him if he stepped on them. He was then led out of a heated van on one side of the block and met on the other side by another heated van. Once picked up, the van would drive him to another block. This was repeated until they got the desired amount of shots. During the shooting of Terry Susan Smith's death scene, the crew became offended and walked out on the production. This would happen again during the director's next film, Brain Damage from 1988. I'm not sure what they were upset about. It wasn't wasn't that shocking to me. But The bar scenes were shot in an S&M club in Manhattan that is now known as the Hellfire Club. The bar was so big that the crew also used it as the Bradley's basement, and the crew had to hide all the sex toys, including a large swing, which was still in the club, which is still in that club to this day. The original buzz saw used to kill Dwayne and Bilal's father, used to be hanging above the door of the club until it was eventually stolen. The original ending included Bilal walking around Manhattan. However, the director and crew soon realized that they did not have the budget or technical requirements to pull off the scene. Instead, Frank wrote the whole scene with Dwayne streaking through New York. And he was able to get Kevin's approval to do that. Basket Case 2, just got a couple of things. For years, Frank was adamant that there'd be no sequel to Basket Case because the audience knew what was in the basket, all the doctors had been killed, and Dwayne and Bilal were dead. Um, let's see. The movie's genesis came when Frank was trying to sell a script for a movie called Insect City. He showed it to his friend James Glickenhouse, who liked the script, but knew it wouldn't sell and asked what other ideas he had. And so he came up with Frankenhooker on the spot. Filmed in parts of Plainfield, New Jersey and Newark, New Jersey. 
The mansion used in the movie was linked to a couple of urban legends in Plainfield. I don't know the specifics of that. The film's arts uh, department searched high and low for Belil's new basket, eventually finding the right one, which he described as being ridiculously overpriced. Oh, the mansion where the Frank's home is is called the Tuesday Afternoon Club. Oh, and here's the specifics of that urban legend stuff. A year after they filmed there, there was an incident where a handyman barricaded himself inside with the corpse of the woman, a woman he had murdered. A news report covering the incident mentioned that the mansion was the set of this film, inadvertently providing some publicity. And basket case three. Make sure you stay until the very end of the final credits as there are a few seconds of film shown. When the sheriff mentions Little Hal's gift of a remote-control lawnmower when talking to Uncle Hal, it is a reference to the movie Frankenhooker in which one of the main characters is killed in a freak accident involving a remote-control lawnmower in the opening scene. Let's see what else. Frank stated this is the only film of his that he is disappointed in, blaming himself for agreeing to make a sequel immediately after the success of Basket Case 2 without a proper idea for a story. And I'll agree that the third one, which I'll talk about in a second, but um, it's my least favorite of the three. While the production was trying to get the rights to the song Personality, the owner reportedly gave them the rights for a dollar after he found out that Annie Ross, playing Granny Ruth, would be singing it. And Basket Case 3 was Frank's final movie until he co-wrote and directed Bad Biology in 2008, nearly two decades later. Okay, why should you watch these movies? Well, I'd suggest watching the first two. Like I said, the third one is my least favorite. Um, the first one shows you what can be done on a very tight budget if for people who, with people who really want to make a film. And it seems like everybody had a blast from the interviews of people that were on this movie. So I enjoyed the first one. And then the second one had a bigger budget. And it involves the introduction of the unique people, which was a lot of fun. And Annie Ross did a great job as Granny Ruth. Um, I think why I like these movies is that they're very much about people who are re society rejects, underdogs, etc. And I remember when I was a little girl, I always was on the side of the monster in the monster movies like Frankenstein, the creature from the Black Lagoon, the gargoyles, etc. So, it's no surprise that I liked all these guys. Um, plans for Basket Case 4. There was an interview a while back with Frank uh, last year. But he's not completely opposed to the idea, but he hasn't found anyone to make Basket Case 4. He says he has a crazy idea, but isn't sure if people will love it or hate it. Okay, on to the recipe. Um... So, I'd like to talk about creme brulee just real quick. And you're like, what does this have to do with basket case? Well, apparently creme brulee has been around 
in Europe for centuries and was even served at the time of Thomas Jefferson's presidency, but it became an item on New York's um, La Cirque restaurant, and that's how it became a popular dish. In fact, it was the most popular dish of 1982 when the first basket case came out. And it's now a restaurant staple with varying uh, differences. You can do all sorts of stuff with it, put in fresh mint, pumpkin, um, etc. So for those of you who don't know, creme brulee actually is pretty um, simple to make. Uh, let's see, it's just um, custard base and a layer of hardened caramelized sugar. The sugar is made of heavy cream, egg, sugar, and vanilla. And they use a, uh, what's that, uh, like a cooking torch, those little torches, to torch the top to um, solidify the top layer so that uh, when you click on it, it's solid and then the custard's underneath. And then speaking of uh, Le Cirque, that restaurant existed in New York for about 40 years. It closed in 2018. There's currently a Cirque at the Bellagio in Vegas, and there's three Indian locations in Mumbai, Bangalore, and New Delhi. There's also a sister restaurant called um, Krico that still operates in Abu Dhabi. So that's about it for what I have today. Like I said, uh, you may have not heard of any of these movies. Um... But, like I said, the first one and the second one were a lot of fun. Check it out if you're interested. And let's see. I'll be checking out for this time. Let's see. We're on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please give us a five-star rating. We need all the help we can get. We're also on Twitter at Food and Fright. Contact us by email at foodandfright at gmail.com. Um, or visit our website at foodandfrighteningfilmfanatics.podbean.com. So that's it for this week. I'll see what I can come up with next time around. Um, don't have a lot of franchises left since this is 109th episode. I think the big ones we have left are Children of the Corn, Paranormal Activity, and Amityville. And it's because there are so many episodes of those. I keep putting them off. I mean, so many um, entries of those. So, And I'm sure there's uh, other obscure things like Basket Case I haven't seen before. So have a great week. We'll talk to you later. And don't irritate a guy in a basket if you come across one. Thanks.